Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. Yes, I am back. Much to the dismay of many people out there who may be listening, reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. So for all of you who didn't like me, guess what? Too bad. I'm still here. But anyway, um, long story about why everything has taken all this long to get back, and I don't feel like really getting into it right now. On another episode, I'll do that. But the point is, I'm here. So what better way to get started with a new podcast than to have one of our friends of the show on to help me along with it? So we have Doug of the Off-Center Archers on on the line right now with us. Say hello, Doug. Hello. <laughs> so How are we doing today? It's been a <laughs> long time, to say the least, since I've done a podcast and since, well, anyone's heard this voice for a while anyway. But you guys have you know, kept on doing your thing. And we always talked about we're going to get to do that Target Archery podcast eventually. Um, And then things happened, and that got delayed even further. But I'm still here. So figure what better way than to catch up. Hey, life happened. (laughs) Life happened. That's a way of saying it. Yes, life happened. Uh, Anyway, so I figured what better way than to kick off another start, but to start with this for a Target Archery podcast. Yes, we are winding down towards the end of hunting season, so I'll have an episode for those hunters who are panicking last minute trying to do something. And uh, this one will be for all the Target Archers since the indoor season has just started. But anyway, so, you know, I am building a new bow because I'm just starting to shoot right now again. And everyone's been asking me, well, what do you do to your bows and all that? Like, I have a lot of stuff that I do to my bows that it's not mad science or anything like that. And that's what I want to make this whole podcast about. People seem to think that when a pro or anybody else who knows what they're doing in this business puts a bow together, there's a lot of witchcraft and magic and, I don't know, Buckets of chicken sacrificed in order to get the bow to shoot well. That's just not true. So, <laughs> it really isn't. I, you mean I don't have to do that anymore? <laughs> no, you I mean, don't have to do that anymore. I know it's disappointing. It. Yeah, um, it's very, very disappointing. So, um, I take it that down there you belong to some leagues. I mean, you do run that range that's down there. I mean, I'm a, I don't run a range up here anymore. And I yeah, right now it's Brevard <laughs> uh, Archers. Yeah, um, it, we're mostly we mostly deal with. Uh, the 3D ASA side of archery. Yeah. We do have um, field and we do do 900 rounds, 600 rounds, animal rounds, 100 rounds. But our main focus is the 3D because that's the big thing down here in Florida. Okay. So I guess people, well, with 3D, some people are using their hunting bows, the same setups they use for hunting, and other people wind up using Mm -hmm. target bows specifically for it. I know you're a Perform X person, so that's what you would be using yourself. And um, you're running running your setup and all that. And like I said, some people, they'll stick with one bow for a couple of years, and then you have the other, what's the nice way of saying this? The other... (laughs) The... uh... (laughs) Ooh, the, new jack, let me change out the 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 new jacks the I gotta have it whatever the, you want to call the them. one you're looking for yeah who are looking for the hottest newest thing out there and if all they did was put a different sticker on a bow they would probably buy it anyway because they can say I have the new deal um 
And it really doesn't yep. matter what kind of bow you're shooting, whether it's a new one or an old one. The fact is that when you go to set it mm-hmm. up, it makes the difference on how it works. So mm-hmm. you're currently shooting in leagues, I believe. And um, how long ago did you set up your bow for that league to shoot in it? Uh, I start I start pretty much the – I take a little break right after the, um, the season's over. And that's usually when – Going into getting ready for the next season that we go through, I'll make sure I'll pull, check my strings if they need to be switched. I pull them out um, or repair them. If, like this year's, I only had to change out a serving. Okay. Because um, the guy, he, there was a small burn in the cam and cut one of the servings. I'm like, all right, I'll just reser- get that reserved. I already had a back. I already have a backup set of strings in case something happens because I'm a one bow kind of guy. Okay. Because I can't afford everything, <laughs> so um, believe me, if I had mul- enough money to burn and have multiple bows, I probably would. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's the first thing I do. I usually start with my arrows and work my way into how I reset up the tune for the bow. Okay. Um, so so here goes with the way I do things. Um, like you, I don't get anything for free. I may get it at discount because well, mm-hmm. I get it. I can get it for wholesale costs um, from PST as I was a dealer with them. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get them. I could buy one used or whatever it is I do. I'm not the type of person who likes to jump from one bow to another. So when the newest thing comes out, I do not automatically go and get it. I do not drink the Kool-Aid. And that has nothing bad to say about bow companies as they release a new bow all the, all the time. The fact is that when you get used to a bow and you know it like the back of your hand, you can shoot it really well, and then it just sucks to be like, oh, a year, new year is coming. i got to use the new model now, and i got to learn that bow all over, which means that while I could have been winning with the old one that I knew really well, i got to go back to stage one and learn a new bow all over, and guess what happens when you're learning? You tend to <laughs> suck when you first start learning. So that's the you problem. You make mistakes. You didn't get the tune right. Some of them are more susceptible to one thing or the other. Um, so I like to start from, like, just like you said, just check out my strings. As long as my strings are good, then we're good to go from there. What differs with me as far as how I set up a bow as opposed to other people, um, the word spec means very little. I will make sure that a bow is up to spec. Now, you have your own press at home or you have a press at the range? Where do you use we have a press up. We have a press at the range. Okay. So these days, so, most yeah. clubs have that sort of setup, which is great for the members and all that. And like mm-hmm. me, because I have a shop here, I I have multiple presses, whatever. Um, I basically use one press to do everything. But as we're getting into this age, it seems like more and more people have the stuff at home so they can do more and more of the stuff on their own instead of having to deal with a shop. I'm not saying shops are bad, but the fact is most of the work you got to do. Especially if you have no shops nearby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've gotten, you know, even though I've been away, I still get a lot of email, and I get (laughs) horror stories about, well, the shop I was driving to was 73 miles away, and there was limited stuff they can do, and then when I found out this doesn't work and my peep was twisted, I had to drive back another 73 miles, and I'm like, oh, boy, that must be horrible. So for people who have to drive a long way, it mm-hmm. can really suck. And unfortunately, the shops don't have the time to put in there with you, unless you're going to really, really pay them well, to put in there with you and then just work on every single little detail. 
So for the most part, I'll concentrate on what mm-hmm. we can do setting up a bow without having to use the shop so much. If you're going to go to a shop or you're working on it at the range or something like that, I say the two most important things you have to do is you have to get your peep in the right place and you have to make sure that your timing is on for the bow. That's it. If you can get those two things done at a shop or a club, the rest you can pretty much do at home. And mm-hmm. this is heresy according to most people. Uh, but it's absolutely true. And there's a reason why I say that. However, I will point out one small thing. And this drives me crazy. If you don't put in your peep before you set your center shot, you know, your knocking point where it's going to be, you will have a nasty surprise when you put the peep in afterwards because your knocking point's going to move. And people don't get why that happens. But if you think about it, Mm-hmm. Your knocking point is going to be the string is going to be shortened up or stretched, if you will, once you put that peep in there. Because even though it takes up only a little bit of space as it opens up the strands, um, it is going to suck up some of the some of the slack in the string. And actually, either depending on which system you have, in most cases, I find that it lifts up the 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 uh, the knocking point, if only a couple of millimeters. But if you had it, you know dead center the way you wanted it, and then you find out that all of a sudden you're shooting knock high or knock low, it's probably because you're putting your peep afterwards, and then it made it do that. And a lot of people don't get that, and I see it all the time, and I used to do it the wrong way for for a few years, and then I, I started seeing things like, why do I always have to readjust my knocking point after I do this? And I figured out it was that, because the bigger the, I don't know if you noticed it, but peeps are getting bigger and bigger now. So the new barrels and stuff like that, some of them are getting really big. And if it's a hunting bow, God help you, because some of those peeps are so big and round. I'm like, really? Um, Yeah, Mr. Magoo can see through those damn things. So they do take up a lot of space. So I generally just throw a peep anywhere in the (laughs) string on the top, and then I'll set my, my, my knocking point. And then after that, I can adjust it and put it wherever it needs to go. So that's just the first little tip. Put in your peep first. Doesn't care. It doesn't make a difference where it is. Get it on the line. Set your knocking point, and then go back and move your peep to wherever it's supposed to be. All this you're doing where there's a press. Yeah. The other thing is, how many people do you ever see setting up their bow and they slide the peep around? So instead of taking oh, it God. out and putting it back in, they'll just slide it up or down. And what's really scary, you know, okay, so I was out of commission for a while stuck in bed, watching, you know, didn't have much to do. Unfortunately, um, self-loathing took place, and I found myself watching YouTube and archery videos for people telling you how to set up a bow. I call it self-loathing because (laughs) this is like self-punishment. You went down the rabbit hole? I went down the rabbit hole and smacked my head into the bedpost more than a few times watching the stuff saying, no, why? No, why are they doing this? Because it makes me crazy. And I am not one to give people a thumbs down on videos. Personally, I don't care what they do, whatever. It was so bad, I started to put thumbs down on a lot of the videos I was watching. Um, Particularly when someone is just sliding a peep up and down. Well, the materials have gotten better, so you're probably not slicing your your strings up and breaking strands, but like they used to do in the Mm -hmm. old days, you didn't see people doing it because it would break stuff. Um, But it does wind up, with people saying, oh, my peep is twisting on me. That's why. So my whole thing is, if you want to slide it and it's not going to destroy your strings, okay. 
you know, someone's going to twist it in place for you so you can see if it's the right height. But once you do that, you take a piece of string, you stick it in where that peep is, you measure it out, take the peep out, shoot it three or four times, reset the string, and then put it back in the press, put the peep back mm-hmm. in, and believe it or not, your peep won't twist. <laughs> it's like they've come up with everything like, for this. When the, the people that end up doing the whole sliding thing. Yeah. Once when they go to tie that thing in, that's when it looks like Spider-Man just shot a load on it. Well, that's the other thing. <laughs> it's just, it's, it just becomes like, okay, I'm going to fix the twist and the, the frame from sliding it up and down the string yeah. with a bunch of serving. And that'll fix the problem. So, you know, the, the thing is, uh, how am I going to say this? A lot of people do it like that because they weren't taught the wrong, they were t- taught the wrong way. And I'm even talking about shops mm-hmm. to do that. Um, they don't know any better or they just saw somebody else do it in a video. doesn't mean that it's right. Mm-hmm. And companies have come out. I mean, years ago, the way I was taught, you keep a piece of D loop and you burn the two ends and you stick it in the string somewhere above the peep. If that peep rotates mm-hmm. on you, it was really designed for hunting bows who would turn on you. And like in the weirdest, weirdest times you can slide it up and down and that would correct the rotation of the peep for only mm-hmm. so long, whatever. So now, like, Bomar has even come out with that sort of thing where you can just stick it in the string. They call it the peep corrector or something like that, and it lets you turn your peep. It's a Band-Aid on a situation that's going to get worse, so you want to do it right the first time because if you're shooting target, and that's what we're talking about, when you shoot target, we both know the worst time for the peep to start to turn on you is when you're actually shooting in a tournament or something like that, and you may not even notice it, but guess what? If especially especially with barrel-type, style peeps which everyone has gone to in time and outside. <laughs> yeah um if they turn, if you're outside if that barrel turns just a hair just a hair you're you're off and so the, yeah. the problem is and i actually saw it i was watching a 3d tournament on youtube um i really don't go to them anymore uh well besides the fact that i had limited mobility i just don't have the patience or the tolerance to sit out there in 90 degree heat, whatever, during the summer and watch them um, or participate in them. And for that matter. Uh, so I'm, I'm watching this one guy and he misses the, he misses the 10 ring. I mean, it was such an easy 10 shot that he could have just won everything. He misses the 10 shot by about three inches. And as he's drawn back, I'm like, your peep is tilted to the left. Why are you? All I know is he didn't notice it. He shot, he missed. He wound up shooting a five instead of shooting a <laughs> ten. And I'm like, you know, and this is not an a- amateur tournament. This was an ASA pro pro shoot-off. And I'm like, dude, mm. your peep moved. I'm, I'm not going to say who it was. All I'm going to say is that the last couple shots, dude did not notice it. So, again, there's quick fixes to do. But if it starts moving in heat or something like that, it's because it's in a twist in a line. Now, if your line is... Your string is not twisted when you put it in there. You know, you're just dropping it in and you straighten out to begin with. It's going to move minutely of anything. You should be fine, but it's always something you should look at. So tip one, mm-hmm. put it in before, mark it, shoot it a couple of times. After you take it out, put it back in, set it, and forget it. We're going to use the Ronco line now. Set it and forget it. Figure <laughs> out about it. And the other thing is if you're shooting indoor and if you're shooting 3D, your peep height is not the same. So if you're going to be shooting indoor, which is 18, minute, 18 meters, 20 yards, you want your peep set so that when you draw back the bow and open up your eyes, you're looking at the 20-yard marker. 
if you do that and you shoot outdoors, it should be half the distance to what you're going to be maximum shooting. So if you got 50 yards for an ASA or something like that, or an IBO, you want it to be looking at like the 30-yard mark or the 40 at the most. Because otherwise, every time you make an, an adjustment, it's going to suck because you have to adjust it on your face and it's going to feel really weird. Now, I've actually seen somebody shooting indoors 20 yards at a tournament who had it set for, I think, 100 yards and their midpoint was like 60 or 70. Yeah, they look funny. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I set mine about 40 because uh, my my longest distance is 40. Yeah. So I shoot in the 40 class. But if you were going to if you're gonna shoot indoors, you'd want to bring it down so that it's more comfortable looking directly at it at 20. Whatever makes, you know, float your boat makes it work for you, that's how yeah. we would do it. Um, so setting the peep height is extremely important. You want it to be straight. You want it to be at the comfortable height for what you're going to be shooting all the time. So since we're going towards the winter months, we're mostly talking indoor. But there, again, in Florida, are you still shooting outdoors all year round, or you actually have to go to indoors? We shoot at um, my club. It's all outdoors. There's no indoors. Ah, um, no actually, indoors. I don't even know if there's any indoor ranges here in Florida. Wow. So you the weather is good enough to shoot so, year-round out there then, huh? Yeah. Well, my, I, I can vouch for my, uh, um, my club president. Mm-hmm. He shoots um, – his indoor rounds in his backyard and videotapes it because yeah. that's how they do it sometimes. Yeah. Or at least the last one he did. And it was windy as hell. And he still won because he, you know, he goes through his drills. He makes sure that, you know, he just is just for windage before he starts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he used to shoot winds. Yeah. So if he's adjusting for the windage, shooting outside, but it's that's fine. Mm hmm. So, so the whole thing is like down there they don't have a lot of twenty. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. He's still doing it. <laughs> See, no, up, you're on. <laughs> up here, there's a lot of twenty yard ranges that people can go to for indoor. That's all they pretty much shoot. Um, so everyone shows up all of a sudden. That's when mm-hmm. you get the crowds at the ranges. And you see all kinds of different setups, guys shooting their hunting bows, guys shooting their target bows. And I'm like, okay, if you can compete in a league and you want to be you know, serious about it and set it up for whatever discipline you're going to do. If you're going to set it up for indoor, set it up for indoor, and that includes your arrows and everything else. Um, so right away, like I said, out the box, most most important thing is make sure your timing's good, make sure your peep's in the right place. And then the one thing that seems to really, really make target shooters crazy is stabilizers. So, like, your stabilizer setup, are you pretty mm-hmm. good in you're pretty good in the wind with it and that sort of thing? Yeah, I got a real thin front bar that's about thirty inches with about I think it's three ounces of weight on the front. Okay. So you see you're you're what we call normal. And then the and then I have mm-hmm. what was that? You're what we call normal. <laughs> so normal um, when you're running just a little <laughs> bit of weight in the front I, and you're not running and then I, Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> And then I have the the V bar set up. Okay, so like what I I, have. I tend to see a lot of stuff with people coming in, and they're they're running weights that they see guys in tournaments shooting. They're running fourteen fourteen ounces on the front, mm-hmm. thirty seven ounces on the back, or something like that. And I'm like, why? Well, you know, this is just the way everyone does it. I'm like. Okay, so if someone tells you to hang a turkey leg off the front and four chicken legs off the back, you're going to do that too? And you're like, well, I don't really think about it like that. I'm like, yeah, okay. 
So I've played games with the stabilizers for people and literally taking off almost all the weight. And they shoot the same if I only knock it down to four and say eight ounces in the back. No. And it works out very well for them. Mm. So excessive weight is not good for anybody. Actually, it's a hindrance to you and will do a lot of weird stuff to you. So it's not a, it's not a big deal. Um, the biggest thing happens to be, is the bow in balance when you draw back with your eyes closed? And that's all it really is. Some people are like, well, I got to make sure it can hold on a needle and by itself. And I'm like, really? Um, I wasn't aware you had to hold your bow on a needle and balance it on a needle with the stabilizers. There was a guy back in the day, um, Bernie Pellery, who came up with a way of doing that. He he had his own company, and he was making stabilizers, and his thing was he would take a Hoyt bow, set up all the stabilizers on it and all that, and he could actually balance it on a pin. I'm like, that's great realistic. It's not. But mm-hmm. that's what some people think it has to be. And then the other thing you're going to see is this thing called a bow balancer. You ever seen one of them before? So, I actually used one. <laughs> okay. I, I, you, I used one to um, get a base level. Yeah. Because I know my hand grip is going to be different than what that is going to hold. And then I adjusted it from there. You use it exactly for what's supposed to be. Yeah, exact. Yeah. I use it as, here's my baseline that that machine gives me. Then I... Then I set set up and balance it the rest of the way from my form and the way I grip the bow. And for that, we'll give you a round of applause because... Oh, gee, I'm still using these buttons. Uh, We'll give you a round of applause for that one because that is exactly the way you're supposed to do it. So what I tell people is the most that'll get you the baseline and get you started, but the most important thing is when you draw the bow back with your eyes closed and you open up your eyes... Is it automatically level? Mm-hmm. If it's not level, then you got to keep on adjusting your weights until it is automatically level. You don't want to have to bring it back into level yourself. Um, and that improves some of my kids' scores by a lot. And on other adults who've been shooting for a long time, when I do that to them for the first time, they're like, what? And I'm like, yes, this is what it is. And they're like, this is unreal. I'm like, well, no, this is for, for the people who don't do that. How do you correct that problem <laughs> for, for people who now the other thing you can do is you can leave it with the bow balancer says, or you can just play, you know, trial and error, but they don't realize that once you put influence from your hand on the bow, it's going to do something different every single time. So you may grip it one way, one time, do a grip it another way, another time. So if you're not starting from dead zero, when you when you come come to anchor with your eyes closed, you could have gripped it any other way, and you're trying to adjust it, and it's like trying to play cat and mouse with it. It'll never come back the way it's supposed to be. So I just tell people, close your eyes, open them up. You open them up, is it dead center as far as the level goes? Yes, it is. Okay, fine. And that's how you adjust the stabilizers the way I was taught to do it anyway. Um, the old-fashioned hmm. way where if it's not anything you know too crazy, it's pretty much better off if you go simple but all that has no meaning unless your site is level to begin with so that takes us right to the site which some people do before the stabilizers i actually tend to do it before the stabilizer and after again just to make sure nothing went crazy um so Mm -hmm. when it comes to shooting target you shoot, you're shooting a removable sight, like an axle or something like that, or what? What brand sight are you shooting? 
Excels. Okay. Both so, my sidebar and the scoper and Excel. And how far out do you Purple run the sidebar? <laughs> how far out do you run that sidebar? It was a six inch bar, so it's about half half of it. Okay. So so you're being sensible I mean, about it. And you got it in there so it just so the peep just basically eclipses it and you're okay with that. And mm-hmm. you're not running it all the way out. Because what I tell people is first we start with how far that thing's gonna be out. And people say, well, if I bought a nine-inch bar, I'm going to run it nine inches out. I'm like, okay, if that makes you happy. Um, They run it all the way out there, and they wonder why their site's moving so much on them. Well, congratulations. The further out you go, the more jump and bounce you're going to see on that thing because you're trying to hold it still out at a longer distance. So that's why I usually recommend halfway. If not, if you're a newest shooter, bring it in more, uh, more closer to you so that you get more control of it. Um, but then once you know what the distance mm-hmm. is, you're going to work. Now we got to talk about balancing it out. So that's another voodoo secret that most shops keep in there, though. Hamski seems to have taken all that away, coming out with these um, site levels that make it pretty much easy for anybody to do it. Some people throw it onto a mm-hmm. jig that you can actually balance it out on the jig and and set your first and mm-hmm. second axis on there. And there's nothing wrong with doing first and second on that. I'm completely cool with that. So for those people who don't know what the first axis is, the first axis is the part of the bar, if you have a site like an Excel, that that flips back and forth off the bar itself. And that, that adjusts the level where it's going to come out of, the level bias. And then the second one is going to be the actual scope itself. The scope goes up and down. You want to set the second axis so the scope is perfectly square there. Either one of those two is okay mm-hmm. to set on a jig or on the bow. When the bow is in a, in, a, in a vice or something like that, you can set it however you want. Got no problem with that. Where I run into the problem is the third axis. And it's different for anybody. It doesn't make a difference. Some people don't know what it is. And it, honestly, if you're shooting indoors, it really doesn't make a difference because you're shooting flat level. Nope. If you're shooting outdoors, it is night and day difference in what your score is going to be and probably missing at further distances. Unless so. you live in Florida where everything's flat. <laughs> you well, know, nine times out of ten, I get a five. Most I've seen is probably a five degree uh, incline uh, or decline. Yes, unless you're doing what I told you, like on one of the podcasts when I was on with you and Anthony where I said, well, you learn to set your third axis if you're being chased by a gator and happen to climb a tree and shoot that steep 45 degrees straight down. Um, then you will pray to God that your third axis is right. <laughs> Otherwise, you're missing. You will have one hour left and say, why is this not hitting this animal? But I digress. Anyway, <laughs> um, setting that third axis. I have plenty here. <laughs> um, setting that third axis is critical for up and down shots. Um, but most people don't do it right anyway. So they think that you can do the third axis while it's in the vice, even if... So one of the best things that they came out with for the last chance archery presses was the uh, built-in drawboard that you just stick in there and can draw the bow back for you. I have mm-hmm. a lot of people thinking that you can do the third axis on one of those. I have nope. a jig that actually lets you do uh, point the bow up and down and stuff like that, but it doesn't do third axis for you because third axis is something that's human-generated depending on how much you're torquing that bow, and I don't care if you've been shooting for six months or 60 years. I actually know somebody who's been shooting for 60 years. Don't get me started on him. Um, But 
all going to put torque into the riser. I don't care if it's a trad bow. I don't care if it's a target bow. You're all going to put torque into the riser. And the degree of torque you're going to put in there is individual to each person. That being said, how people set it is weird. So some people are like, well, you got to stick this on there and then you tilt it down. And if it's still there, it's okay. And you tilt it up, it's still okay. It doesn't have to be that crazy. And my best results have always come when I just take a string, I tie it to the ceiling, and I let it hang straight down. And then all you do is you put your pin along that string, aim up, is it in the middle? Great. Aim down, is it in the middle? Great. And if it's not, then you push it in or out until it is still in the middle when you go up and down. Does that sound very complicated? Uh, I don't know. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound good. No. So <laughs> that's the thing about it. So you're keeping your bow level. You've already done this first and second level, so you know it's you know it's level. And then you're running the, the pin up the string because if you hang the string from a ceiling or anything like that, uh, it doesn't make a difference. Some people use the example of a door jam. I've learned not to do door jams if only because contractors suck in the modern era and nothing is square. Yeah. <laughs> um, we won't talk about that. Yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> but if you have to if you have to just uh, you know, tape a piece of string to your to the middle of a door or a ceiling or something like that, let it hang straight down. Gravity will do the rest and it will hang straight. So as long as it's hanging straight, you can now run it up, run it down, make your adjustment and be happy. And if you want to make sure that string is level, which it's kind of impossible for it to be not level, then stick a level next to it and see if it's level. And guess what? It's going to be level. And that's how I set third axis on these sites. And people are like, no, but you have to do this. You have to do that. I'm like, and I will get to the same exact spot that you do 47 minutes earlier than you do doing this, this, and that. It's so simple. So you do your third axis. You're good. Now you know you're good for up and down. You've set your peep. You set your draw length properly to make sure your draw length is, you know, because there are some people who their hunting bows are one draw length and their target bows are another, and I may never understand that one. Like, no, well, I'm, if I'm comfortable for my target bow, it's this. And like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then it's that thing of you got your stabilizers ready to go. You've got your sight ready to go. You've set your center shot, all that. Um, and we're at spec. So then I get the whole mighty question of, okay, but now I got a, I got a paper tune. And I'm like, yes, you do. You're at spec. You want a paper tune to see if you're up or down. And I've preached about this on many a podcast. Um, Tim Gillingham. I personally do mostly French tuning and then, yeah, I am. I, I prefer that because that's what I'm used to. Yeah, and that's Getting easy. Getting the paper tuner out to the range is hard. <laughs> that's easy to French tune that way. That's no problem. Um, Tim Gillingham takes it to a whole different extreme, and he knock tunes through paper at 11 yards. I paper tune through 11 yards, whatever. But as long as you're doing the French tuning or the paper tuning, the hooter shooter. <laughs> um, <laughs> The Hooter Shooter is great. It's mechanical. It's not human. And it can do things that you can't. <laughs> so yep. my Hooter Shooter. Again, I use it as a baseline. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a baseline. And also I use it like that so I can set up a, a shot for 80 or 90 yards without having to wonder if I'm going to miss. 
So I'll set it up like, oh, are they all going out there? Cool. I can shoot it and do it like that for somebody. Because I've actually had people ask me, can you set up my bow to shoot 50 yards without me being here? I'm like, is your bow set for your right draw line? Yes. Is the peep height set, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, I'll set it up for base 50, and I'll get it shooting at 50 yards. And then, I mean, I'll literally show a picture of, um, I don't have a hooter shooter. I have a Coops Bowsmith. And I'll I'll have a, a, a two-inch group at 50 yards. Because it's mechanical. And they're like, so it's sighted in? I'm like, yes, it's sighted into 50 yards. <laughs> they try shooting it, and they have a group that's maybe 15 inches now, wide. Now, whether you can shoot it at 50 yards is a different story. Exactly. And I'm like, just because the machine can do it don't mean you can do it. <laughs> but um, they they do, like I said, a lot of tools are preached to be one thing when there's something else, and there's no substitute for the human influence. So if you wonder why the guys at the shop can sight mm-hmm. your bow in for you, but it doesn't work for you, it's because they're not you, and neither is a machine. But if yep. you're going to use that a tool like that to get a baseline, which is what you do and what I do, you're good. But as far as paper tuning goes, I have yeah. my way of doing it. At I ten- use the machines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do it at 10 yards plus. That's all. That's my, where my paper tune is. Paper tuning, if you're going to use paper to do this, at five feet away is useless. Useless, useless, useless. The bow's not out of paradox yet. Half the time when the arrow rolls out. So I may tune to an exact bullet hole, and it will be the lousiest shooting bow in the world. But I got a bullet hole at five feet. I mean, really? Come on. But you can do the French tuning the same way you're doing it, and it's exactly the same effect. Mm -hmm. If anything... It saves you a lot of time because if you do it that way, you're really micro-tuning it in there. Um, so then, like, we've gone over all yep. the basic stuff that everybody can do because, like I said, the only thing you're doing at, at the range or you're doing at the shop is making sure that you're peeping your, and your knocking, knocking point is set. After that, everything else is user-friendly to do at home when you have a simple target or something like that, and there's nothing overly complicated you're not changing anything on there you're not reinventing the wheel you're not doing surgery on your bow and speaking of surgery on the bow i will just say to people if you all don't know how to fix it ask somebody as long as it's not an archery talk please please ask the right person an educated person (laughs) a person who has three quarters of a brain how to fix something because basic common sense will stop you from killing yourself when you're doing something stupid to a bow and people have done all the weirdest things. I'm not going to go into what I've seen. I could. I won't. Or what's been told on Archery Talk. Yes, for those of you who are listening and think I have something against Archery Talk, I absolutely hate it. It's the worst advice from some of the worst people I've ever seen on the in the world who are all ego-tripping on there, trying to get themselves to sound and, and look more intelligent than every other guy. So there's no help on there. Maybe out of... Every 50 questions, it's one guy who is trying to give some decent advice, and he gets booed by everybody else saying he doesn't know what he's doing. So I don't suggest you figure out how to do something on Archery Talk. Okay, rant over with that. But everything that we're doing now at this point, (laughs) you can make it work for yourself. Um, So like I said, at the range or at the shop, you set your timing to be dead even. Um. When you hold, do you ever find the bow fighting you like it wants to take off on you or something like that? Yeah. Um, 
Repeat that real quick. When, whenever you distracted sight. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever you draw back your bow and you try to concentrate on aiming and stuff like that, yeah. do you ever find that your bow wants to take off on you or feels like it's got a little bit more squish on the bottom that you could pull just a little bit more back or something like that? Mm, no. Um, the only time I have anything similar to that is if, if I've been shooting for a while and then, then my, my muscles You're just breaking down. Like, okay, okay, dude. You've been doing this. You've been doing this for a while. So I don't know if you ever noticed it, but, but some um, some people run their their arrow right directly through the center of the burger hole, and then you'll see other people running it like the bottom of the arrow running through the center of the burger hole. Um, and it's just mm-hmm. the way like some guys are like. Well, I know with this bow, I got to set it up this way. Well, I know with this bow, I got to set it up that way. But then they never explain why, and. The average guy doesn't understand why that happens, and I'll just explain it real simple. When you're pulling back on the bow, the arrow is not in the center of the bow. The way the bows are built these, these days, no. you either have more meat on the top or more meat on the bottom. doesn't make a difference. The cams are set to balance it out, so you're supposed to be holding even, mm. but it doesn't always work, work out that way. So what some people do is they, raise, they set the dot. Yeah, go ahead. Especially with arrow diameter. Oh, yeah. So some people will set it to be higher or lower, depending on where your center shot is on the particular bow for for referencing the center of the bow itself. You can't always, always do that, but what you have to manipulate is the pressure that each cam is putting on there. So by raising that knocking point, it actually changes the pressure point so that it feels more comfortable and holds more steady. Now, does this make sense mm-hmm. to a lot of people? Well, I said it at, you know, dead even timing on the cams. Like, I get it. You did that. But because of the way that you draw, the way you hold, how your pressure is, like some people draw with an elbow extremely up, well, guess what? They're pulling on the top cam more than they are on the bottom cam. The bow may not feel steady for them. Some people dead even, depending on how the bow is built, the geometry of the bow, that might feel a little funny for them too. So I'm going to let out a guru secret I'm going to piss off a lot of people by saying this who charge a lot of money at the archery ranges uh, and at the pro shops for it, but at this point in my life, do I really care? The answer is no. Here's what you do. So all you need to do is have an Allen wrench and just go ahead and take a half a turn out of the top, sometimes even an entire turn at at the top. Draw it back. See how it feels. It might feel worse. It might feel a hundred times better. If it feels better when you're holding that way, then it just means that you need to have more pressure from the bottom than you do on the top. That's why you're taking a a turn out. Then you can try it the other way around. Put that turn back into the top and take a turn out of the bottom. How does it feel? And you'll try different combinations of like a half a turn out of here or a half a turn out of the bottom, always resetting to, you know, straight down and, you're going to find a point where it feels and holds a lot better. How I would do this in a range where I have my own equipment is actually adding twists to one of the cables either on the top or on the bottom. We achieve the same thing. But for someone who doesn't have a press and you're doing it at home, just taking a turn out of the top top bolt or out of the bottom bolt can make it feel completely different. And that seems to be like witchcraft to people, but it's not. It all has to do about how the bow is holding and the geometry with it. Now I've just blown up the spot for a whole bunch of guys out there who have been charging a lot of money. Say, oh, I'm going to make you both feel like nothing else. Like, yeah, this is what they're doing. And it's real simple. And you'd be so amazed what the bow shoots differently like that 
And then you just make sure your tune is still in order or whatever. But for the most part, the bow will hold completely different for you. And that's why you'll see some guys like Chance Bobef, when they hold, hold for 18 years um, when they're drawing on something because the bow is not fighting them. My key to good, accurate shooting is to make sure the bow doesn't fight you. And that's how you do it. And once you've done that, once you've done that sort of thing, um, then you'll feel better. It's not jacking against you or something like that. If you ever draw a bow back and it feels like it wants to take off, it's probably because one of the cams is hitting before the other one. Dead, dead giveaway, the timing's messed up. But it feels like, ti- mm-hmm. like it's trying to pull back on you. Unless it's a really aggressive cam, um, it's probably because the timing's off and one of the cams is hitting the stop and the other one's halfway there. And when you actually pull it all the way to the wall, you've got excessive, pre- excessive pressure on one of the cables. And that or on one of the limbs if it's got draw stops. So, you know, for limb stops anyway. So that's mm-hmm. what you wind up seeing. And if you just set it back to timing and then, then we adjust for comfort, you're fine. Um, after that, for the average person, you're pretty much set to go with the exception of your arrows that you're using. And like I said, if, if you just have one bow and you switch from skinny arrows to fat arrows, you're going to have to make some changes. But for the most part, if you set up with a set mm-hmm. of arrows, as long as you're getting to tune right, and I know people who are saying, well, I keep on getting a left hair. Guess what? After you've already set up your bow um, and you go back to paper, if you were that crazy and had that much self-hatred going on, you will find that it doesn't tear clean. Why? Because you made all these changes. Don't expect it to shoot bullet holes after you do all that. It doesn't. You've adjusted everything on the bow to shoot it in straight lines, but now in order for that to work, it might tear funny on the paper. And I have people who give up shooting on a bow because they just can't get get a clean paper tear. I'm like, why? But um, then the other thing you're just going to do is if you want, it depends. That is on the, weird. <laughs> if, you, if you want to just make it even a little bit more forgiving, is you want to tune out the left and right on it. And you can do that very easily. Um, all you got to do is, if your rest is set further back, then you're just going to move in or move out your sight bar slightly and check to see if your groups, op- when you're shooting at a line, if you shoot at a straight line, are your groups opening or closing? So if your groups open up by moving the scope out, try moving it in a little bit more because you're adjusting the fulcrum point of where that arrow is holding. Mm. And when you do that, and all you can do is torque the bow a little bit, and I usually don't get into this too much with people because if you torque it, and there's a thousand and one videos about this sort of thing out there, and they all neglect to mention, when you torque it, you don't go ahead and just twist the whole bow in half and derail the damn thing. All you do is put a little bit of pressure from one (laughs) side to the other, and then that accounts for you screwing up when you're on the line. So if I screw up, I tense up, and I put a little bit too much pressure to the left, it'll still bring it back into the center depending on how forgiving I make the setup. So if I'm just adjusting my sight back and forth, you really don't want to move the rest too much because if you don't know what you're doing, the last thing you want to do is move the rest. But if I'm moving my sight back and forth, shooting at a you know a straight up and down line, by moving it and then seeing what my groups are doing when I'm torquing it to the left or the right, you'll find this one distance that it sits at where all of a sudden, you know, if I torque it or not, they still hit in the middle. And if that's the case, mm-hmm. then I found my forgiveness point, and that's where I should have my sight bar at, at that point. And I can adjust my, my apertures or whatever to make up for the difference. But it's a very, very big deal. Um, and it does really help. And the other part is line tuning, which you really don't do, like up and down line tuning is more, mostly for outdoor 
Greg Poole has a great article on it and a great video on how he does it. Everyone I know does it pretty much the same way, but that's for long distance, and I'm talking about 100-yard shots out there. Um, if you can't shoot a group smaller than a Sopstein at 20, why bother trying to shoot at 100? Um, get your stuff together at 20 and then work your way out. But for purpose of indoor and that sort of thing, um, you just want to try to get your stuff left or right, give you as much as much forgiveness as possible, um, and then that will mm-hmm. fix that. The last thing I'll get into is with your scope, what are you shooting a lens, number one, and if you are, what power is it? I'm shooting a six power. You're shooting a six power. Okay. Um, and that you're using for 3D outside and all that. So yeah. that's appropriate for outside. I've seen people using eight yeah. powers indoors. And I'm like, why are you shooting an eight power indoor? Um, well, they're like, what do you shoot? I'm like, the max I my, shoot. My is- head would be like. <laughs> like the max I shoot is a four. Like, Wait a minute. And I'm only shooting 20 yards. The max I'd use maybe a two X. Yeah. I'm like, I shoot a four power. And I've been doing this for 40 years shooting like that. And it, you know, before there were lenses and stuff. So now I'm shooting with lenses and max I go is four. And they're like, well, why can't I shoot an eight or a six? I'm like, okay, does your pin move a lot? Does the target move on you? Like, oh, it jumps up like crazy. And then I took one of the kids, I took the lens out because they had it set up at another shop. I said, go ahead, shoot, shoot the crosshair again. Let me know how that goes. And I think they shot 23 points higher <laughs> at, a, at a 300 round without a lens than they did with. And, and I'm like, is this, is the target moving all over the place on you? Like, the pin doesn't even hardly move anymore. I'm like, because you're magnifying all your crazy movements. That's why. Oh, I was going to add mm-hmm. some more t- some more stabilizer weight. They said that if I put a lot of weight on the bow, it'll slow down the bow. I'm like, no, it won't. <laughs> That's not going to slow that down. You shooting with basically a, you know, a microscope on the end of your bow is not helping you. So either shoot with no lens or low power, something that you can handle. But I get these people like, well, this guy does it with this, and this guy does it with that. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why are you doing that? I, I think that generally when we call, especially talk about target stuff, people try to use what they see somebody else using and think it's automatically going to work yeah. for them. And I tell people, if you want to see that, go to Nationals for indoor and watch what everyone is using over there. We'll see 4 million different types of setups and try to pick from one. And if they're picking off the pro stuff, that is the worst thing you can do because these are people who live this because it's their job. And all they do is shoot Mm -hmm. every single day. You shooting once a week or twice a week, which even if you get somebody who does that, it's a lot, are not going to be able to figure it out or take the time to make adjustments that they're doing. So it's like too far way out there. And I'm like, really? It's uh yeah, I don't I don't get why people do that. Um but basically that's in a nutshell how to set something up so you can get ready for indoor or outdoor or however you want to do it. There's not a lot setting it up. And some people think there's so mm. much going on. There really isn't. Um but since we're on that um, anything else you can think of when it comes I to setup? I did have a question yeah, about sure. that. Go ahead. When it, come, when it comes to setup, um, how much does speed of the bow 
matter. If we're talking about in some classes, mm-hmm. you know, some mm-hmm. some 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 competitions, you have a speed limit that you you can't go over. Yes, and then some don't really have a speed limit itself. It's okay. just the poundage of the bow can't be more exactly. than I think sixty pounds on that on that side. Yeah. So for like USA archery, and we know every mm-hmm. bow man. For USA Archery International rounds, stuff like that, the max pound is just 60 pounds. So when it comes to 3D, mm-hmm. they really don't care if you're shooting 50 or 100 pounds, but your speed is what makes a difference. So while there is no speed rating for international rounds or indoor yep. or anything like that, we don't care if you shoot 100 miles an hour. We really don't care. Um, you know, you try to stay safe with it and all that. Indoor, their speed is not a thing because people are trying to shoot the slowest arrow possible gives them the most forgiveness at 20 yards. Mm-hmm. Go figure. 3D, they want to keep it under 288, 290, I think is what the ASA rule is. Um, and um, then, for me, it's uh, 280. Okay. Um, in, the, in my classes, the pros are allowed up to, I think, 300. If they moved it up to 300, because I remember in my day it was two, 290. But if they moved it up to 300, they do yeah, that for It, it might be 290. They, they do that for a reason so that people are shooting what we call safe rounds. I think we talked about this before. Just because you can shoot a 300-grain arrow out of something that's shooting 70, 70 pounds doesn't mean it's smart, wise, or intelligent in any mm-hmm. way because, yes, it will shoot flat and like blazes because that's the whole idea with speed where you try to get something mm-hmm. that's going to shoot as flat as possible. And that's really for the unmarked games so you don't have to like judge as much. Um, for the mm-hmm. known 3D, the speed is, you know, you want something that doesn't arc as much. So if you do have to shoot at 52 yards, you got to know where it's going to go and how much to adjust for it. Um, so that's why speed, you want to have a higher speed for that anyway, as long as you're shooting within safety. Um, indoor doesn't make a difference at all. But, yeah, speed does figure into it when you're doing it. Um, but also at the same time, like indoor you'll see people who are shooting arrows that are overly long. I mean, they'll go past the riser two, three inches sometimes, especially using heavy aluminum. Outdoor, it's just the opposite where people are shooting like right off the rest. I mean, right exactly cut up to the rest. And that's all for speed consideration. It's all they're doing that on the outside for. Um, If you do something like that and you set it up, just remember one small thing. Speed kills. And this is what, not just driving, speed kills when it comes to accuracy also. Yes, it'll get there faster. Yes, it'll give you less opportunity to make a mistake because it's moving so fast. That's a two-way street. Because if you make a mistake, it's going to be amplified because the bow is going faster. So if you look at... Yeah, this is the part I wanted to talk to you about. This is where we have a debate at the range about is whether nine times out of ten, most most of the consensus is speed will erase a lot of your mistakes. But at the same time, it's like speed could also cause you to have more mistakes. The speed will separate you from the arrow, the bow from the arrow, faster, which in theory gives you less opportunity to make a mistake. However, mm-hmm. the problem that most people have is their initial setups are a little funky. So if the bow is not co- if the arrow is not coming out straight to begin with, combine that with speed and the slightest input that you have to it could make it less forgiving and therefore amplify your mistake 
And that's what I tell people about that. But there's something else related to speed, mm. especially when you're shooting in groups in 3D. Now, up here, most people are assigned like four or five guys to a group, and then you go out and you shoot the targets. I don't know if they do the same thing down by you. Um, so Yeah, it's usually about four, four guys. So there's always a headhunter in the bunch. No matter what it is, there's somebody who, mm-hmm. like, the first guy lights up a, a 10 this or a 12 or something like that. I want to try to light that up, too, and I'm going to use his arrow as the target. Um, I think you'll find that the mm-hmm. guys who are the hardcore headhunters, as I call them, um, don't shoot very fast bows. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they don't do that is they would rather shoot a slower, more controllable, more beefy arrow because, especially in the 3D game, if you shoot a very light, lightning-fast arrow at somebody else's arrow, or if it happens like if the – if let's just say you're shooting at a 12 mm-hmm. ring, which is an obvious 12 shot, and it's got the first three guys in front of you, they all yeah. hit the 12 and you're looking for a little bit of space in there to get in, mm-hmm. you may bounce off it because as fast as that arrow comes is as fast yep. as it's going to glance off, and that may turn to 12 into a 5 or a 0, depending on how how fast that impact is and what it hits. It might hit the back end of another shaft. It might hit a pin the size of the target. and just deflect completely off. I have seen that too many times. These bruisers who go around and are the headhunters, as I call them, will shoot slower, heavier arrows because even if you've got a 12 ring that has a millimeter in the middle, they will shoot right for the center of that mass and they will plow right through it because they're not using the heavy speed, but they got a heavy arrow and it goes smashing right through. It'll break arrows. It'll separate it out. But one thing it's not going to do is glance off. So that in that particular mm-hmm. game is where... You don't want to go super slow because you're going to have a crazy arc and then you'll pay for it in, in, you know, in your accuracy. But what you want to do is you want to have a co- combination of arrow rate, arrow weight and speed that's acceptable. So if you stay in the 260s, 270s, 275, and the arrow is decently heavy, because, I mean, I can shoot an, uh, yeah. an arrow at 280 feet a second that only weighs 300 grains, and it's going to bounce off like, you know, like, a, like a grain of rice off something. Yeah. But if I shoot something at 280 that is weighing 400, 450, it's going to smash whatever it hits on the other end. And if that happens to be somebody else's arrow, so be it. So in the 3D game, you've got to have that consideration. <laughs> 3D is is mostly strategy so, and accuracy, but you can't help yourself. Yep. You know, so, so yeah, when people so ask me about speed. A, I think my arrows weigh in at four. Yeah, my arrows were way in now at four thirty. No, four fifteen. I'm sorry. Okay. And I'm I'm at about two eighty three. Okay. Speed? Yeah. Would you consider me a headhunter at that point? Um, for something two eighty three speed, you're pretty much got the capability of being a headhunter as long as you're shooting a. You're not shooting a what you call a what I call one of these penetrator type tips that is like extremely sharp on the end. And some people oh. like those things, but they are counterproductive. The top end. Yes. <laughs> so think of it like this. The sharper the point. Yes. It mm-hmm. may, it may go right into the paper and hold really good. It might go into the target and hold really well. But the fact is 
you shoot that against something that's got a glanceable surface and it will go yeah. off it like a rocket. So I always shoot a yeah. rounded tip, um, not necessarily so rounded, but not these pointy point things um, that you see that are really meant for indoor where you're not shooting at somebody else's arrow. Um, and yeah. I will literally bludgeon somebody, else, somebody else's arrow to death with it. Um, I've tried the top hats with it. They may be harder. They may be easier and more aerodynamically sound, if you will. Believe me, at under 100 re- yards, it really doesn't make a difference if it's pointed like a rocket or if it's rounded. Um, mm-hmm. And I rely on the rifle tactic for it where a rifle's nice, a rifle bullet is nice and round on the end and it will mm-hmm. destroy anything it hits. But if you shoot what, what they call a silver tip or something like that, the first thing it encounters, yeah. whether it's a branch or something like that, it will glance off of. That's the only thing you got to be aware of. So you're shooting the ah. right poundage. You're shooting the right the right weight and speed, um, but if you ever see a glancer, it's because those little sharp points hit the wrong thing, and then they went sailing into nothingness or went sailing into the five or something like that. That's why. So the only thing I do is I shoot a little bit of a rounder point. Um, doesn't mean you have to go throw mm-hmm. away your points or anything like that. I actually take an emery board, go onto no. the top of it, and just dull off the end. As long as I dull off as much of the... Um, the same amount off every arrow, then it doesn't affect their grouping or anything like that. It's like minute that you'd be taking off, but you could take that and just blunt them out just a little bit, and it makes all the difference in the world, especially if somebody's having a lot of glance outs when they're shooting at a crowded target. Yeah. Well, like I said, these are the one question, the few questions I had. I was just like, you know, that that's one always kind of made me go, hmm, because, you know, everyone's shooting these nice top hats that are just demolishing everybody. But at the same time, it's like the glances sometimes, especially if they hit a pin, like exactly. way gone. You, 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 you hit a pin knock, which is something. But if it hits a bushing, that bushing's toast. Yeah. If you hit a bushing square, <laughs> it's over. But you hit a pin knock, which is not, and that's a cone. Um, and the cone's got, yeah. a, got a tip on it, guess what? You're going to glance off, and it might be a, ba- a bad glance, a, a point-costing glance. That's what it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go in the middle ground and, you know, shoot decent weight, decent decent size. Nine times out of ten, when it's three, there's three arrows in the bottom 12, yeah. I'm shooting upper anyway. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't room. Yeah, so... Yeah. But like I said, it's another strategy thing, and where your setup counts is to... You know, what am I going to encounter? It's just like people tell me, well, when you go hunting, why are you, why are you like shooting such a heavy arrow? I'm like, well, because I want to be prepared for anything I see. If I see a white-tailed deer, I'm good. If I see a bear, I'm good. If I see a T-Rex, I'm good. Aside from that, that's the only reason I carry a heavy <laughs> arrow like that. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, plus I can shoot further than you. That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, it's more stable at further distance. It's fact. It's aerodynamics. I can throw a, a pencil further than you can throw a little light straw, right? Okay, done. Case closed. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's what I tell them. And the same thing applies to any setup that you do. When it comes to the speed, like I said, speed can often take away as much as it gives you. So um, you just have to be a little careful with that. That's all. But, yeah, uh, any other questions yeah. besides that about your setup there? No, that was the biggest ones that we that I encountered. Like, mm, it's because you know, because everyone's on the speed kick. You know, the fastest bow. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Mm. 
and, and, it and, helps, but how much? And, you know? and, and that's the you thing. Know, I mean, it, they have bows out, and, you know. Obviously. For me right now, it's like, okay, I'm looking at some of the newer bows and some of the bows have been out for a while. It's like the speed that I would be getting out of them, I'd still have to turn down and get less poundage on the bow. Exactly. Going through the full day, a lot easier. Yeah. But I'm still getting the speed I need. Well, I mean, I know people shoot 3D and shoot 80 pounds, and I'm like, God, why? Like, well, because I only I have, know. have to shoot this I month, know. This I, I got times. a guy who shoots 1F70. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't make much sense. It allows him to shoot a heavier arrow. Okay, fine, whatever. But to me, it's just like unbearingly bad. Especially like you're shooting off flatland, but if you were shooting hills, imagine trying to draw back an 80-pound bow with an upward shot and hoping your release goes off. It's a lot harder to do. So, you know, what some somebody's mm-hmm. setup is is very, very important as to how, they, how they're going to perform on there. And if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. You know, in in that, but if you set up yourself, if it works for them, it works for them. <laughs> if it works for them, yeah. And also, if they feel like they can't leave the bed for a week after shooting a tournament because they're shooting an eighty pound bow and put a hundred shots across it, and now their shoulder is, you know, looks like it belongs on a moose or something like that because it's Butter. got swells. <laughs> yeah, then that's their fault and nobody else's. It's what they're trying to do to give them a, an advantage. Um, but you made a good point when you said, you know, well, you're looking at the new bows and you're looking at the speed. For everyone out there who's listening, if you don't know this, the speed that's advertised for IBO or whatever, whatever the ATA speed, the ATA listed speed that they have on the bows, if you go ahead and put your regular, as I call it, arrow in there, you are not going to get that speed. The speed is set at no. 70, 70 pounds with a 30-inch draw and I believe a 350-grain arrow. Insanity is what it is to shoot something like that, but that's how they base their speeds. So I get a lot of people that come to me like, I just bought this new bow. It says 340 feet a second. I'm getting 286. I'm like, yeah. And you What's your draw length? First off. Your draw length is 26 <laughs> inches. Okay. There, there is problem one. You just lost a lot right there. <laughs> 26 inches and you're shooting a 450 grain arrow. Problem two, you will never see 340 feet a second out of that thing. And the whole reason they bought it was because th- that number means so much. When I look at look at a bow, I can tell you if it's going to be fast or slow just by looking at the cams. I look at the cams that are on it. I look at the brace height. Short brace height, big cams equals a lot of speed. Big brace height, big or small cams doesn't make a difference, equals slow. So... It's really on you. And like I said, the new bows that come out, everybody puts a different gimmick on it. Um, and everybody's like, well, we had this and we got this and we added this. And, we, you know, some people, I'm not going to say the name of the company that does it. Bowtech. Um, they, they like to put out there saying, we have the fastest bows in the world. And, and they, they've been doing that for ages. It's how they, how they do their sales. And it works for them. And I got to tell you, at one point, they were all speed. That's all they were about. And they were probably very uncomfortable to shoot. I know I used to shoot one. Um, But then they come out with other innovations, and they're starting to realize, like, speed's not everything. Adjustability is now everything. So, like, the way that they adjust their cam left and right on the top, that's ingenious how they came out with it. Hey, them and Elite, they've got the market on that sort of thing. So... They make it easier. Now, all of a sudden, speed doesn't really make a difference. Like, they sell, like, we have the best adjustability. We have the easiest adjustability. 
Um, you can adjust it without a press and stuff like that. That's what their selling points are. But there are always going to be people who throw out the speed number and say, look, we can do 370 feet a second. And with modern technology that we have right now, I mm-hmm. think we've kind of hit the wall on how fast we're going to be able to go. So you're not going to see bows that do 400, 450 feet yeah, a second. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I don't think we can get them going any faster without, you, you know, you would have to change up in the poundage and well, people can't even, pull that. Not even the poundage that they're going to have to up. They're going to have to change the dynamics altogether. So the way the cables are laid out, they're going to have to change a lot of stuff. And back in the day, there were guys who were shooting 400 feet a second. I know, I know it because I used to see it. Um, but they were using overdraws, extremely low, extremely short arrows. And basically, they were shooting a crossbow sideways is what they turned their bows with it, with the overdraws on them. Hmm. Barring that, I don't think you're ever going to see 400 feet a second. So just take it as speed is what speed is. It's going to be that way for a while until somebody miraculously invents something else. Um, but make do with what you got. If you're the type of person who needs to have the latest and greatest and you got the money for it, knock yourself out. Fine. Whatever. But you may find that just because you bought something that's brand new this year's model, it doesn't do any better than the last one you had. So I see most people are changing their bows every couple of years instead of every year. But remember, whatever brand new bow you see coming out will be on sale in archery talk in six months for a half the price. So they paid 2000 for it. It's on archery talk six months later because the new one's coming out. People want to get rid of it or they bought it and they regret it. And, uh, yeah, you know, coming from somebody who at one point was selling bows and stuff like that, uh, I'm a horrible salesperson because I usually tell people if you don't need it, why bother? Um, it's not any different than what you got. Now, if you're shooting a bow from 15 years ago, <laughs> I could see upgrading. Okay, fine. But do I see tossing away? Well, now they're 1400 You know, on a flagship bow, no. Two grand on a carbon, no. Why? Um all because they say, well, we can shoot faster. Like, really? Can you? Uh, can you shoot faster? We have the lightest carbon bow in the mm. world. Like, okay, you have a light carbon bow, but I got to add three pounds of weight on it to make it stable for me to shoot. I'll stick with the aluminum. Thank you very much. You know, it's <laughs> it's it's really a gimmick on what everyone does um, and, and how they look at things. So it's all a matter of perspective and what you're going to do with it. But... Like I said, I'm a horrible salesman when it comes to that because maybe I'm a little bit too honest with people. Like, why do you want to buy that? <laughs> like, if you need to have it, you need to have it, whatever. I'm not I'll gonna... sell it to you. <laughs> I'll sell it to you, but um, don't say I didn't tell you. <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. And then I'd have t- people that bought the new bow every year, and they would be like, well, it's not much different than the one I had last year. I'm like, it isn't different than the one you had last year. It's exactly the same with one little change yeah. that they made here. That's it. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Usually, and, uh, I, I think the average bow cycle should be about five years. Yep. Before before the, you buy a new one, because yeah. by then there's been enough significant changes to the bow line. Yeah. To justify, especially lately, a two two thousand dollar bow. Exactly. And lately, all they've <clears> been doing <throat> is the only changes you've really seen, and in like innovative wise, and they're really innovation, regardless of who says it. Um, is they've been increasing the width of the limbs just a little bit to make it more stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been playing games with the mm-hmm. risers, adding cages to the riser on the top and bottom makes them a little more stiff, or they've been making the riser itself longer and the limbs shorter, or the riser shorter and the limbs longer. They're really not doing all that much difference, and it's only minute. So 
<coughs> you don't really see re- very long bows anymore when it comes to hunting bows. I mean, I never shot anything shorter than a 35 inch. And now no. the longest I can find is my EVL, which is why I have not gotten rid of it because it's 34 inches. Everything else is now 33 and below. And that actually kind of pisses me off, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what they do. So they really don't change much. Um, and then you get to the stuff where some people, um, <coughs> Matthews, um, they, they're all of a sudden going from four limbs to eight limbs and putting rubber in between them to make it sound even better. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you're one, if you're a Matthews guy, it's great. It's wonderful. You're shooting the newest thing. And I'm sure that Anthony will tell you the saluter is blowing those things out. Like, oh, they can't keep these things in stock and all that with those eight limbs now and all yeah, that. I'm pretty sure they are. Um, on my bow, I am concerned with four points of failure when it comes to my limbs. <laughs> it's new Matthews. It just has a brand new sticker on it. <laughs> I don't need eight points of failure on my bow that one could be cracked or one could be weak or something like that. And I don't know if you've ever looked at your PSC limbs, but each one has a different number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they go in a certain yeah. pattern. It's called the X-Force pattern. And it allows it to be stronger on one side mm-hmm. than it is on the other. Imagine if Matthews has the same thing. But you don't know anything about it. Now you have to figure out how to put them on for eight different limbs to go together. I mean, really? I don't know if they're like that. I've seen one. I held it. I looked at it. I felt it. And I was like, No. Like this, the ones I've seen already, I've seen two of them with the pockets misaligned. So I'm like, either people don't know how to press them, no surprise there, uh, or you start to see the manufacturing issues come out later in the lines. And once you get a certain amount of them out there, remember, you don't see, you would never see anything wrong with a car unless you had 100,000 of them out there. With a bow, you're not going to see hear about the reports of problems until you get a lot of people out there and get the market saturated with it. So eight limbs sounds like a great idea. Will it be? Only time will tell. For what I've seen, like, no, not my cup of tea. But that's mean that's not going to work for everybody. And for some people who are casual shooters, and I'm talking about like the hunters and stuff like that who pick up the bow twice a year or whatever it is, they're perfect. But if you're going to beat on something, remember, mm. the more things that there are to fail, the more failures are going to be. So I'm like, I try to keep it simple, mm-hmm. and it looks good. Believe me, the bow is beautiful. Would I shoot one? No. <laughs> it's not my deal. <laughs> and I don't know if PSC like, will come out with, with that. That's me, everyone who comes into my range. <laughs> That's uh, like me with everyone who comes in my range. They're like, you know, just getting into it, you know, what what, what would you suggest? If <laughs> Find out what what you're going to do. If you're going to hunt, buy a hunting bow. Yeah. If you're going to shoot, tar- just target. Exactly. Then go find, find a nice target bow. Start off with. Yeah. So what, whatever you're going to do. Remind yourself, you're going to stick with this one bow and just build <laughs> your build your stuff up and your, all your gear for it, all your accessories before you go, okay, now I'm proficient enough. Now I want the hideout one. <laughs> Then you can just take all your gear from one bow right over to the new one. Just transfer your stuff over. That's they all. don't listen. <laughs> no, of course not. And some guys I know, when they get rid of their bow, they get rid of their bow with everything on it so they can get all the newest and greatest stuff on the next bow. I'm like, it's nice to have money like that, I guess. I don't. You do. Okay, fine. If oh, I, yeah. If that's what thrills you, sure. 
no problem. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so that's, I don't know. That's pretty much, you know, it, when it comes to setting up bows and all the new stuff that comes out, like I said, there's always going to be a gimmick. There's always going to be something that somebody comes out with that tries to, um, to, you know, like be the greatest and, and try to lure people over to the dark side. Like I don't have the money, but let me spend it on this anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's just bad that way. Um, this first episode back, I am not going to do a don't be that guy segment in it because uh, in my state right now, I'm not talking about New York, which I'm not happy with. And may not It's all about positivity now. It's about positivity. <laughs> I'm trying not to be negative. I'm trying not to flip out on anyone. But don't worry. No, when, <laughs> next time me and Anthony get together, we'll do a, a tribute to uh, "Don't Be That Guy" for you. Oh, they. Oh, I am by no means no means saying <laughs> that there will not be a "Don't Be That Guy." Um, I will do more "Don't Be That Guys." Um, I'm just trying to stay. You know, for my first first episode back, I'm trying to stay mellow, and I'm trying not to concentrate on the wicked advertisement out there, trying to get people who don't have the money to afford it to buy these things that they shouldn't be buying it because they're trying to sell bull crack to them. Yeah, no, why would mm-hmm. I go crazy on people like that? Because you have advertisers like, here, here's the latest thing. We know you can't afford it, but we want you to buy it anyway. Come on, you want it, you want it. You don't want to pay for <laughs> gas in your car. You want to buy this, don't you, don't you? And if it's not the bone manufacturers, it's the accessory guys like, well, we've got this thing here, and this is going to make your life great, and this is going to turn you from a 250 (laughs) shooter to a 300 shooter. No, no, I'm not saying those people are evil. Yeah, you know, I could really go there, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to let it go. (laughs) I'm not saying they're evil in any way. You see, I almost let it run away with me, but I didn't. Yes, being away for a while will tone me down just a little bit. I am recording other episodes, and let's just say the one I recorded before talking to you today was not as calm. Yeah, I kind of went off about that, and I'm going to have to see if I can edit that one down because I literally think that people would think I was losing my mind. Are you teasing the the complete, this is one episode that's just, don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I did a whole episode of Don't Be That Guys, oh boy. Yeah, for, for one thing, they, they'd have my neighbors like having the police banging on my door to see if I'm, you know, on a health check or something like that. Is he okay in there? Is he is he having a breakdown of some kind? All, all I'm hearing is yelling and screaming. I mean, I used to record uh all my all my episodes downstairs in the shop in the corner it was in the basement and you didn't hear anything but my neighbor was still hear me yelling next door now i'm up in my bedroom recording these things because i don't have it in me to go do this in the shop so i'm like yeah uh maybe i shouldn't go as much off as i possibly could <laughs> and, and i'm not doing that um i will save the colorfully expletive rants for an episode I do with you and Anthony or something like that. <laughs> I'll just, oh, you're welcome. Anytime you know that. Just yeah. Whenever you guys give us, give us a call, we'll know <laughs> whenever you guys are ready to do another one. Cause I know we were supposed to try to do something last week and then Richard was trying to get on that one and he came home too late or something like actually, that. Actually, it was kind of funny. It was, um, Anthony hits me up yesterday. He's like, so, we doing a podcast tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing one with Angel. He's like, 
what? <laughs> and Anthony, I know you're going to be listening to this, and no, but yeah, I, I, I got the angel on the schedule. I, I, I didn't <laughs> like. I like you to know, Anthony. Oh, okay. I, 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 I mean, know how it goes. I right. did not. No problem. I did not poach your co-host for this. We were planning this one for a long time, but I got you first. It's okay. I'm back, and I will share nice going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't done one of these in <laughs> such a long time. It was like, for my first episode back, I want there to be another human being to actually keep me on track and keep me from going ballistic bananas, completely crazy, and wanting to go psychotic. Everything that has been going on no. in the months I have been away, which is going on six months um, since I recorded the last podcast, but everything that's been going on in the world, politically, don't get me started, um, from the manufacturers, oh yeah, um, and things like that has been so bad <laughs> that I have plenty of ammunition left to rant and rave over. So... I am in the process of doing that, and whenever you guys want to do one, we're going to do one. I will tell you that (laughs) I've got a couple of videos that were put together. Um, One was put together before I went away, Um, and for anyone who's listening, when I say I went away, I meant went away from podcasting and from teaching for a little while and stuff like that. I, to clear out any rumors, did not go to jail, did not go anywhere like that. So when someone says they went away, it doesn't mean they went to jail. Um, I was quite literally in the pits of hell and just crawled out of them. Um, And I'm still scratching, clawing my way out of it. But at least I can talk again. So that's why, as long as I got a voice, I can record stuff. Because when you guys were asking me how I was doing and stuff like that, and I told you, I'd be back to flip out on people sooner than you think. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, I didn't flip out today. I almost went there, but I didn't. I maintained my calm. But I have enough flip outs left in me for a little while longer, I think. Uh, and we'll see how all that goes. It's been far too long and far too much has changed since I've been away. That Believe me, I have lots of ammo. But I was recording videos. I want to have like this full, you know, uh, <laughs> they, you know, they they had the the Evil Dead series years ago when I was a kid, and they had the the Book of the Dead. They called it Necronomicon. Well, I'm writing Who my own love the Evil Dead series. <laughs> I I am writing my own Necronomicon of archery stuff. So the archery book, and I'm not kidding. I ordered it from Amazon oh, already. <laughs> it's already it looks like a Bible cast in in what you call in the uh, human skin. <laughs> And inside, I will literally scribe <laughs> all of my archery things on how to set bows up, how to fix target panic and stuff like that. And some of the videos I will do, I will come out with the Necronomicon and be like, for today's lesson, how to set your center shot? We turn to chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, thou shalt set your center shot as follows. And I'm gonna, That's the way I'm doing all this, because it'll serve as a handbook for whoever's around after I'm gone, but also it's a good way to write it all down so that it can just be referred to. And the videos kind of go with it, whatever. I'm not going to publish mm-hmm. publish the Archery Necronomicon, though. I'm sure I can get it published on Amazon if I wanted to. But, yeah, that's what I want to do. But some of the videos, one video told me uh, someone who watched it because we did it before I went away, and they told me if you run that video – Whatever church you belong to is going to excommunicate you. So I'm like, um, 
damn, I really wanted to publish that one too. I think I'll, if we mm-hmm. do a podcast with you and Anthony, I will go over what was in there, but I was helping a kid with target panic and I did it. I discussed it on Richard's show and I did a thing with a cross and shaking a cross. And he thought that like I was going to do an exorcist number on him, but I helped him get past his tar- target panic and all that. Well, let's just say I adapted the video to that to be kind of that way. And, um, one person who saw it said, oh, my God, if you publish that, you're so dead. I'm like, okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, wait. <laughs> I, I, never mind. I'm thinking in my head, like, I would love that, personally. I thought it was funny you as know? hell. I was and To me, that's how I would look at it, too. I find that kind of idea funny because if you, you know, met, if people <laughs> knew people would target painting, it might as well be Well, just describing how it goes, um, it, I have a, a monk's outfit with the cloak and the whole bit, and it's very dark, and the light just shines on my face, and I lift up my head, and I'm like, my people, we're here to discuss a very serious problem. Are you suffering from the demon possession of target panic? Do you feel that you're possessed by this demon? And then I kind of just, you know, I'm like, we can help you. And I break out the cross and all it. Like, this is how we are going to help you. Not. And then I throw the cloak away. <laughs> the whole bit like. Target panic has nothing to do with demons, witches, or goblins. And I, I get into this whole thing, but the first two minutes of it um, got people wondering, like, what in the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I'm not doing anything oh, really that bad. beautiful. <laughs> you do realize you're going to get a lot of emails you know, now going, do it, do it. <laughs> oh, it's done. <laughs> I just have to post it. Um, so like I said, I don't know where that would go, but I was – I was advised not to do it. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I think I will let you and Anthony decide and maybe get a, a user poll out there. Like, should we release the video or not? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> this is going to be like the, the most anticipated video ever for, for an archery site. Like, are we all going to hell or not? I, I, I don't know. Um, we are. <laughs> so we're taking everyone with us. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's it's going to be one of the things. But as soon as I get the book and stuff like that and start writing that book out, um, I don't think I'll write it in blood or anything like that. I think it'll be entertaining. It'll actually help people watch the video. No, knowing you, you'll write it out in serving. It's impossible, but I would try. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. that but right. I, I think it. it <laughs> I, I think it's a, a new way of doing it. Whatever, like to make it more interesting for people. Like I said with all the censorship on Facebook and on YouTube and all that. I don't even know if they let me get away with it at this point, but um, actually, they, you could, and <laughs> that by putting disclaimers, we're not, you know, just a simple. This is not, you know, what it is. What you think it is? This is for comedic, you know, comedic value only. Yeah, I could yeah. probably do that. Um, hey, you just uh, the little bold lines in the bottom. I've seen videos read for comedic purposes only. <laughs> My luck, I'll have a real exorcist show up at my door like, do you think you're being funny? <laughs> something like that. I can imagine something like I mean, YouTube made me take down my um, my my inspiration videos, you know, for people like their, um, I forget what I called it. It's been so long since I looked at them, but I was doing um, my things for like people who want to go on their weight loss to, to try to 
do stuff like that. And they said that I had to take them down because I was giving people weight loss advice. And I never said anything like that on there. Oh, but dear God. They made me take them all down. So I'm like, if that got taken it, down. It was a challenge video. Yeah, that, the that high one. power archery challenge. And I was doing those. Yeah, a, a different challenge. one a week. Yeah. That- and they said that that was telling people to do irresponsible things with their weight loss. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, and they made me take it down. So I had to take them all down. That's why if you look on my video site, you don't see them anymore. Though one day I may just post them back up again and probably get banned from YouTube. But whatever. Um, but that's how crazy they are. So I can only imagine what they do with this. Unless I form my own religion of the of the of the arrow or something like that. And then say, this is a religious video and you can't say anything about it. In which case then they'll probably leave me alone, but I don't know. Um, I'll probably get into a war with tech Nugent thing. Yeah, I think you'd be fine as long as you put a simple disclaimer. <laughs> and it's sad that we have to do you things like that. that today. Comedic use only. Yeah. Uh, um, it, it's sad that we have to go to that extreme, but I can see it happening. Uh, yeah. But, but anyway, we've been on here for anyway. almost another hour, almost an hour and a half already. So for my first show back, this is wonderful. And I thank you so much for coming on here. Um, oh, why, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> why don't you tell people where they can find you now these days? Um, since now it's well, you, you and Anthony doing the off center archers and stuff like that. Yep. You find us at the off center archers. Uh, we're on most streaming services for podcasts. Mm-hmm. That I know of, mm-hmm. he handles that side of the the deal. I just I just show up to work. <laughs> and you, you were know, right, I'm the Archie idiot. And I'm like, hi, I'm here. And, and you were right. It did it did come out clearer doing this one through Skype than doing it through the other way. Um, mm-hmm. So this is good, and this is probably the way I'll do most of the calls in here like this from now on. Um, and then uh, what's the other one? And then obviously, if you live in Florida, come visit me over at Brevard Archers, mm-hmm. Melbourne, Florida. You know, we, you know, we have our three shoots every month and everything else. And we just knocked down our freaking schedule for the year. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be busy. (laughs) Yeah. We'll, we'll get another episode one of these days talking about the club stuff because at the last time we had, had you on for, for those we talked about. It was just before we took, we took over, well, the the management, the officer group that now has, has been in charge. It's been almost two years now. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's it's been a while since we did that one. And like I said, my thing with my club that I was involved in, I'm no longer involved in. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's gotten even kind of, even more crazy. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. But again, it's been great having you on. It's been great to actually be back and do another podcast for a change. Um, so this has all been fun. And I guess I'll end it right here by just saying. Thank you all for listening again, who have not listened in such a long time. I am still here. We'll be back with more podcasts for you, including our sometimes questionable YouTube videos that will be placed up there if I don't get thrown out of the Catholic Church. <laughs> and we'll see how that all goes. And you'll probably find me on an episode of the Off-Center Archers if we can ever get that together. And we'll see how that works. Um, yeah. You know, we'll try to get that rolling. But in the meantime, um, 
Thank you all for listening. You can find us at highpowerarchery.com, and you can always email me with any questions at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Although I've been away for a while, I have been answering as many of the emails as possible. If you're one of the unfortunate people who I did answer or didn't get any other answers from me, please email me again. I was not in the best state of mind to be answering a lot of them, and a lot of stuff did fall through the cracks uh, when I was not available. So... Again, thanks for listening, and until the next time, it's never goodbye. It's until we see you again, and thanks for listening. Until then, stay safe and shoot straight.